Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. As usual, Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch, and today we are wrapping up our kind of look around the NHL. We've hit the Pacific Division, the Central Division, Metropolitan Division, and today we finish with the Atlantic Division. If you missed any of those episodes, they're available on any major platform. Uh, just search Max Term Podcast and you should be able to find those no problem. As well as if you're interested in learning more about our contract projection model that uh, we have posted at, at AFP Analytics on Twitter. If you want to see, um, understand how we got to those values and also learn our thoughts on the general forward, defensive, and goalie market, you can find those episodes as well. Just like with any episode we record, any ads or anything associated with this podcast are not necessarily products or companies that James and I endorse or agree with. And anything that we're talking about in this episode is our opinions or based off of information that's publicly available, been reported by uh, reporters out there. We're not sharing uh, inside information that we may kind of have knowledge of. So the Atlantic Division has might be the strongest division in hockey. They have the reigning President's Cup champions who really went all in last year and didn't reach the ultimate goal, and that's going to cause some issues for them this offseason with the Boston Bruins here. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I think the elephant in the room in Boston right now, as much as everyone's talking about how are they going to keep guys like Bertuzzi, Hathaway, uh, are they going to need the clear space by trading people? Elephant in the room, I think, is this was kind of perceived to be the last year of Bergeron and possibly the last year of Krejci, which was really going to be kind of, all right, here's this last push for a cup and then a little bit of a changing of the guard so to speak, and I guess that's still up in the air. We don't know for sure what those two are going to do. Um, I think their plans might kind of change as an organization um, if they find out Bergeron wants to do one more year. Um, because I really look at this team and the talk of the town is, can they fit Bertuzzi? If Bergeron's gone, who's your center? And Krejci's gone. Who's your center? Charlie Coyle? Because he should be your third-line center. Yeah, I mean, though Krejci and Bergeron, part of the last push for Boston was was giving them 35-plus contracts, which allows you to build in performance bonuses. Well, performance bonuses allow you to lower the cap hit kind of in one year, but if you don't have the room to absorb those bonuses or you start to use long-term injured reserve, those bonuses get pushed to next season. Bergeron and Krejci have, have had those bonuses pushed through this season because Boston really pushed their chips to the center of the table, and now they have a cap overage, and it's going to be really tough for them to make any moves without making a tough decision and maybe the first tough decision they have to make is besides who's going to play first line center who's going to play in goal yeah i think um they've had or well they had this past season probably one of the best goalie tandems in recent years with Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman. What's interesting about this situation is, uh, so Olmark came off a unbelievable season, I'll call it. I don't think anyone saw it coming from him. He's a very solid goalie, but he was arguably the best in the NHL. They've got him for $5 million for the next two years. Pretty good value. That's good. The issue is Jeremy Swayman and his arbitration rights yeah um, i mean we talked a lot about jeremy swayman in the fourth episode of the podcast so i don't want to completely reiterate that but if he goes to arbitration he's probably looking at a minimum of four million dollars 
And more than likely, Boston's going to have to go that route. Otherwise, he's very susceptible to an offer sheet. And we have him projected right around that $4 million range, which, depending on how teams structure it and stuff, could only cost like a second, third round draft pick as compensation. If I'm a team with a goalie need, I'm more than happy to sign up for that. And if Boston matches, well, good luck filling out the rest of their roster. Yeah, I. so I, I think they would match because that would be fairly poor asset management to not match that. Jeremy Swayman seems like he is going to turn into a clear number one. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it, it really makes things tough for the rest of your roster, and then it, it makes you kind of look seriously at are there players that need to be moved out to create cap space, which is something that they might be looking into anyways because of their lack of cap space. Um, something that's interesting to me, I've seen Taylor Hall's name out there a little bit, $6 million uh, the next two years. What I don't understand is a lot of times that's paired with how do we keep a Tyler Bertuzzi. I don't know if I'm moving Hall out so that I can sign Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah, that's that's a maybe not quite spinning your wheels. It's giving yourselves a little bit different flavor. But again, it really goes back to who's centering your top lines. I guess maybe Pavel Zaka. Right now, you mentioned Coil earlier. Probably Zaka's one, Coil's two. Yeah. <laughs> That's still not inspiring. I think if I'm Boston it's, and I'm running the team, it's very obvious that we need to find our next number one center. And then this is assuming Bergeron is done. If he is done, you, you have to find your number one center because you're, you're taking a big step back if, if you aren't bringing someone else in. Maybe in the free agent class you have, I mean, the top two guys are, Probably not true number one centers, but maybe with with who would play on their wings, you can kind of make that work for a year or two. Ryan O'Reilly would probably be a fine fit. He could maybe give you kind of one C minutes for a year. JT Confer's probably not talent wise a one C, but I think I think even you or I could probably play center in the NHL if we can play with David Pasternak and Brad Marchand. I might fall over a lot, but, um, yeah, I can kind of just let them skate around and score all the goals. Something that pops into my head, and uh, we talked about this team uh, earlier in the week on our uh, podcast where we did a bit more of a deep dive into the Central Division. Uh, Winnipeg kind of seems like they could be a decent team as far as a trade matchup, and there's multiple different ideas kind of popping in my head. I don't think Winnipeg is going to go full rebuild, even though I sort of think they should. I think they're going to try to retool, and that could kind of fit um, Boston's need to send out some contracts as well. Boston needs centers. There's two centers who are expected to be available through trade coming out of Winnipeg. That's Mark Scheifele and uh, Dubois. If you're a team in need of a top center like Boston may be, that's a team I would target. And Maybe you can send out a couple contracts to help you clear some space. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of Scheifele, especially if Winnipeg's willing to retain a little bit. I just, I don't know, looking at Boston's roster, knowing who Winnipeg has on their roster, Jake DeBrusque, I think, would be more interesting, but he only, he's only under contract for one more year before he's an unrestricted free agent, so Winnipeg's would either need to have an extension already worked out with him, or they're just spinning wheels, really trying to retool on the fly. Sure, maybe they could trade him at the deadline, but I just don't see a retool fit if that's what Winnipeg's going for. But I don't disagree with you. I like that fit. 
but Boston traded their first this year, their first next year. They have no second round pick the next three years. Like the best they can do is like a third and fourth round pick in this year's draft and maybe a prospect who's not really considered an A-level prospect. The other idea that popped into my head, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but if you're Winnipeg and you are trading Hellebuck, is there a deal for Jeremy Swayman that involves one of their centers? I don't know. It's pure, pure speculation. I'm just trying to find trade fits. Um, It could work if Boston decides that they're not going to be able to pay their goalies around, let's say, $9 million. Yeah, that probably is probably the best – I mean, that is the best asset that Boston has to work with right now. But, again, I don't even know if that's the smart decision there. So, uh, well, the goalies gives us a good transition to kind of the next team in the division here. The Buffalo Sabres, up front – Victor Olsen's probably being moved out. They might have to retain some of the salary there, but that's that's for this season, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. Even if he's back and kind of like in and out of their lineup, maybe moved at the deadline, the Sabres are going to have enough cap space because they have still a lot of their young players are still on their entry level. Some have a bridge term bridge deal that they're playing under. They got their top centers locked up, so they have the cap space to kind of eat something this year. Forwards, especially after bringing back Zemgis, Gergensons, they're probably set. Where it seems like the Sabres need help, blue line, particularly a right shot defenseman to play on the second pair with Owen Power, and maybe in goal? Yeah, so from from what we've seen, it... it it appears that Buffalo is prioritizing a defenseman. Um, and it seems like the pretty obvious hole on defense is next to Owen Power. Buffalo has the cap space that that could be done through free agency. They have the assets, both picks and prospects, that it could be done through trade. So really any possibility works for Buffalo, and I think that's why they're rumored for so many different defensemen right now. That being said, there's kind of a fan base debate, I think, of, well, is it the defense that needs to improve? Is it the goalies that need to improve? Is it both? When I look at the goalies, Eric Comrie, Devin Levi, Uko Pekalukkanen, I don't think any of them are ready to even be a 1A. Maybe Levi? but I don't know if you can bank on that going into the year. Yeah, for a team that, frankly, should be a playoff team next year, really has to be a playoff team. That's That should be their timeline. Rolling with Devin Levi as your unquestioned starter, I'm not, I'm not here to say that he can't be the starter, he can't be the 1A, but it feels like a very bad decision to just go into the season with that as your plan. So I I think that maybe the idea of a Hellebuck or re- really Hellebuck, who's an unquestioned starter, maybe that's not necessarily needed. Maybe a Carter Hart makes a little bit more sense from Philadelphia um, or someone of that kind of caliber where they could play more in tandem with Levi and if Levi starts to show that, sure, he's good enough, he can continue to ride, Kind of, you can ride that hot streak and not feel pressured to take him out to give Connor Hellebuck, for example, more games. I, I think that is 100% the case. I, I agree with that for sure. And uh, just to give a, another possibility, if we look into the UFA market, someone like a Freddie Anderson who we have projected for a two-year deal right around $4 million. That would seem to fit kind of Buffalo's, really, their salary cap plan as they're moving forward. They're going to have some bigger, young names getting very large deals soon. And Darlene, Power, if you look at the forwards, there's going to be, 
eventually a Jack Quinn deal, maybe a new deal for Casey Middlestat soon. So they, they need to be a little careful what they do in goal. Freddie Anderson, Antti Ranta, one of those two guys who are with Carolina would make a lot of sense to kind of be the one, could be a 1A or you're, or you can easily justify them being a one B and let Devin Levi play the majority of the games. I think I think the defense is really the question. I think goalie wise, they should just dip into the UFA market yet again, bring in yet another guy. Sure, maybe trade someone out or something, but the defense is where I really think they should go more of a trade. I like some of the names in the free agent market. I like Racco Gudis as a fit a lot. I like Scott Mayfield as a potential fit next to Owen Power. But looking at the organizational depth, they don't have a lot of defensemen and they have a surplus of forwards. I would use some of that surplus of forwards if I'm that organization to bring in a young, a slightly younger defenseman or someone who you know is a quality top four guy and be able to basically say, hey, we have a top four locked in after Darlene and Power probably signed extensions this offseason. We have a top four defense locked in for like six, seven, eight years. Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot too. And I, there's already some rumors out there. Uh, Brett Pesci, a lot of people are saying, what about Noah Hannafin out of Calgary? The one that isn't talked about really yet that I like to speculate about is a Keandre Miller from the Rangers. The Rangers cap situation's a, a little tight there, and they could use some forwards. Um, there's going to be a lot of options, and like we were kind of saying at the beginning of this Buffalo analysis, they have every option at their disposal, whether it's through trade with uh, a bunch of forward depth um, prospect-wise, whether it's using picks or some of the cap space they have available if they want to go out in the free agency. They, they can identify what they believe to be the best option for them, and they're going to be able to make it happen if they want to. Yeah, I think the one thing to kind of note about Buffalo with their defense how it's situated right now the three guys that are basically penned into their top four for the next however many years are all left shot guys so i i think uh, hannafin's also a left shot guy keandre miller's also a left shot guy bring in one of those type of guys then you would have probably four left shot guys as your top four i don't know if that's maybe a route they're going so i i think if they're going to bring in a guy it's probably someone who does shoot right so moving on to next in the division is a team that really, like well, I've already used this pun once, but I love it so much, has been spin spinning their winged wheels. And I just, the Detroit Red Wings don't have, they've picked high, but don't have enough top-end talent. Yeah, and that's going to be very hard to find this offseason, I think, unless they are able to do it through a trade. Um, it's not going to really happen in the free agent market. There's no clear uh, top line forward. There's not really a clear top pair defenseman. I guess we can say Orlov, maybe. Um, I, I really think that they just need quality players. Uh, the forward group could really use an extra name or two. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a top-line guy. It can be a second-line winger. They, they just they need some quality goal scoring, I think. And from a defensive standpoint, they've got Moritz Sider, who is a cornerstone for them, and Jake Wallman was actually uh, really good for them. feel like they could use a second-pair guy added in there. And then the big question and goal is... Are they able to add a 1B or maybe more of a backup type to pair with uh, Uso? They kind of need to add all around still. There's there's a need everywhere. Yeah, and and it's not like, oh, let's, let's build out our fourth line depth. It's we still need significant pieces, which 
really is not acceptable for a team that's drafted this high and really should have been rebuilding for multiple years now. I kind of like the fit of like a Jason Zucker who this year who could slot in on your top line, but also maybe provide that middle six wing depth that frankly Detroit's lacking. I mean, they have David Perron's probably their best winger right now. Dominic Kubli can score some goals for them, but I don't, I don't know. They have Lucas Raymond, who's a nice prospect. And then outside of that, there's not many inspiring names up front. And even, even look, even their prospect pool up front is really not as strong as it should be. Again, considering where they've drafted the past couple of years. In goal, they they do have a promising goalie coming up. Sebastian Kosa is is highly thought of one of the best goaltending prospects right now in the league. So maybe it's it's using Huso and then another maybe 1B type 1A guy to bridge the gap until Kosa is ready. Absolutely. I, I think they don't need to shop for a long-term goaltender. They just need someone to kind of fill, fill the, I'd say, backup role maybe even um, until Kosa can come up and eventually be their number one. Yeah, I, I don't know. Detroit, I don't have a good idea for what they should do. I think they just need to, like we've been saying, they just need to add quality, whether it's at forward, defense. Uh, a backup goalie isn't a big move, but really forward and defense, they just need quality. And um, you can do that through trade or through free agency. Um, they just need to become better. Yeah. That, that's... That's really not what you want to be hearing about a team that's picked high all for the past few years already. And even if they were to add via trade, I, I don't know who they can necessarily afford to give up because they just don't, I don't see enough young assets there that are inspiring to get the top end talent they need. So it's kind of an unfortunate situation that, that they haven't really been able to uh, move forward a little bit there. So I'll be honest, I thought the Florida Panthers kind of panicked a little bit when they blew things up last offseason. I look at what Tampa did after they lost to Columbus and really didn't make a ton of major changes. But Florida goes, fires their coach, and makes an absolutely one of the biggest trades in the NHL in recent years to bring in Matthew Kachuk, who was unbelievable this year for them, and put put the team almost on his back to the to just a couple wins from lifting that cup. Yeah, so Matthew Tuchuk, he we knew he was a a first line very good winger. This year he was one of the best players in the National Hockey League. I think at first there was a little bit of a shock for fans because we saw Uberdo and Uyghur who were two very important pieces of this team gone in the same trade and really only got back one player. That being said, the age of the player they got back, the contract situation, they were able to sign him long-term at a young age and just the quality of the player. It seems like it's paid off. Um, What's interesting is throughout the season and even at the beginning of the playoffs, I think most people kind of wrote Florida off. They just snuck in to the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, okay, they beat Boston. They've got to be done after that. Nope. Made it all the way to the Cup. I think they had some low-key good depth pieces, both at forward and defense. One of the more interesting storylines here, though, for me was Bobrovsky, who last offseason, everyone was trying to figure out how can Florida get rid of the Bobrovsky contract. And that might still even creep into some conversations now because of how big of a deal it is, um, $10 million for the next three years. But he was a big part of their cup run. 
And I have to think, looking at their goalie situation, yeah, there was talk of trying to move his contract. I don't really know how they move forward with the goalie situation now. Um, there's some uncertainty with Spencer Knight returning. Um, their backup this year, we'll, we'll say Alex Lyon, he's fine as a backup, but he's not someone that's ready to take over. You kind of need Bob Rowski to continue what he was doing in the playoffs. Yeah, I would certainly, I, I think at this point, three years left, $10 million, and he's playing well, I think you ride Bob Rowski's contract out at this point. It, it just seems seems like trying to give up assets or buying it out or anything like that at this point is just, just not the smartest kind of asset cap management. To me, the, the big question I have with Florida is, what are they going to do on their blue line? Aaron Eckblad, under contract, two more years, $7.5 million cap hit. Grand Montour, $3.5 million cap hit next year. And then he's, ne- he's in need of a new contract, and if he continues to put up numbers like he did this past season, especially in the towards the end and into the playoffs, he's going to be looking at maybe $8 million plus million uh, for his next contract. Gustav Forsling, he's been a really, really quality depth defenseman for the Florida Panthers. Under contract for really good value, but only one more year. Josh Mahura, same thing. So they have the room to bring back Arako Gudis this offseason, no problem. But what about going forward? Yeah, so you mentioned three uh, specifically for next offseason, Montour, Forsling, and Mahura. Ekblad's not far after that with uh, the following offseason, so he's got two years left on his deal. It's going to be tough to fit everyone. When we look at the forwards, another name to throw out there who's going to need a new deal soon is Sam Reinhart. He's got one year left. Anthony Duclair probably gets a raise from his $3 million, I would think, assuming he stays healthy. Anton Lundell has become an important piece. He'll need a new deal after this coming season. There's a lot of flexibility with all of these players needing new deals. They're not going to be able to afford all of them, and I think it could factor into how far are they willing to go with giving Gudis a deal to kind of keep keep the team together and run it back. Yeah, a one-year contract... For a defenseman, whether it's Gudis, whether it's someone else with Florida this offseason, would make a ton of sense, especially with the cap projected to go up a lot next season. Maybe it's not a Gudis who's going to be entering his age 34 season. Maybe it is more of like a Scott Mayfield or someone who can get a one-year deal to play a bigger role in Florida and then hopefully put up some better numbers, better minutes, and really parlay that into a nice long-term kind of final contract of their career. That could make a lot of sense, but yeah, Florida short-term should be okay, but they have to be strategic in how they approach this offseason as they start to try and fit some of these numbers in going forward. So Montreal is kind of moving through the division. The next team to look at, and they're a head-scratcher to me. Their defense is frankly awful. There's not a name there that's inspiring to me. Yeah, I've, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge fan of just their entire roster. Um, defensively, yes, it's not looking good there. Um, I don't really know how they're going to be able to rework that because they don't really have any cap space. My other issue is when I look at the forwards, it's a little uninspiring to me as well. Yeah, I. so you got Carey Price's $10.5 million cap hit that will probably go on long-term injured reserve, but that's basically all the space they have. And Mike Matheson's their highest-paid defenseman, and maybe even their best defenseman, which, again, is not inspiring. And then up front, I like Suzuki, I like Caulfield. But after them, 
Christian Dvorak's a really nice second-line center, I'd say. Gallagher's still a fairly good winger. Josh Anderson, not, not my type of player necessarily. They've used their cap space up really, really quickly. They don't necessarily have anyone on a massive deal outside of Price who will go on long-term injured reserve. But it's just they've just spread themselves pretty thin with space available. Yeah, I think there's some deals I'm looking at here with like Mike Hoffman. Maybe you could move him. He's got four and a half left on a one year. I don't know if maybe Joel Edmondson, you could move him off the defense and clear up a little more space. Um, But I I look at Montreal as a team that I I don't know if they're really close to being a contender. I, I think it, let's say they move Hoffman and Edmondson and they free up, let's say about 7 million. If we go to the UFA market, we don't really have anyone for seven million out there. Almost with Orlov. Let's say for some reason Dmitry Orlov says I want to go to Montreal. I don't really look at Montreal as being like that much closer to contending. Yeah, I don't think uh, one Dmitry Orlov is moving the needle enough for Montreal. If they get into Dmitry Orlov, Jake Allen's a good goalie. Sam Montembeau was good as well this year, but they could maybe use a little bit more there. Like, they could use middle six winger. Like, a Thomas Tatar would be a nice fit there, but again, I don't think that that's a move that they should necessarily be making. They, they're they starting to build some level of depth in the organization, but I, I still don't see any of the top-line guys... I'm still not sold on Yuri Slavkovsky, who was the number one overall pick in last year's draft, as being the kind of elite goal scorer that they're going to need from from that. I look more like him like Kapokaka with the Rangers, who's going to take a while to develop and may or may not fully hit that ceiling. So, kind of the opposite of Montreal, team with lots of top-end talent, but still has a couple moves that they need to make. Maybe they're a team that makes sense for Dmitry Orlov. The Ottawa Senators. Yeah, so uh, I look at the Ottawa Senators, and the big thing that jumps out to me right away is Alex Dabrinkit. That's kind of the big issue in Ottawa right now, now that they've finally, we believe, are sold. Um, the team is sold, and it should be going through. Um, Dabrinkit, it doesn't seem like he's going to be signing a long-term extension there, and that is probably going to lead to a trade, which is kind of tough for Ottawa, considering they gave up some pretty good assets to get Dabrinkit to be there. Yeah, that frankly, them getting Dabrinkit was a head-scratching move. I, I don't know. I don't... I never had confidence that he was going to sign a long-term contract with that organization. I mean, the seventh overall pick in the last year's draft, fine. I think the value was there with that. It's just that issue, like you said. Wasn't really expecting him to sign there long-term. I think if if you're going to trade the seventh overall pick, you kind of want to have an idea that he is going to sign a contract. Um, Because now they're going to be in a situation where they are pretty much needing to trade to Brinkett. Teams are going to only really want him if they know this extension is going to work with him, which might give him a little bit of leverage and take a little bit of leverage out of the hands of Ottawa to get the best deal possible. Trading Alex Dabrinkit, ideally you get Alex Dabrinkit back or something of that value, and I'm a little concerned that might not happen. Yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily want to get a recoup of first-round pick because you're trying to move forward. And it's it's kind of a shame because Ottawa's built up a really nice kind of forward group with some nice contracts. Like Stutzel and Kachuk being both under contract for just over $8 million for a long term. 
that's that's really good work by Pierre Dorian there. Shabbat's under contract for $8 million, also a fine deal. But I guess you you also have Josh Norris, who's one center, maybe, maybe more of a second-line center, around $8 million. That one's a little bit of a maybe a little bit too much, but it's not, it's not horrible. So you have good contracts to work with. And Alex DeBrinkett, yeah, asset-wise, definitely didn't work out. But even on the ice, he was not the same type of sniper player in Ottawa that he was in Chicago. So there, there's a couple things working against trading him right now, really. Definitely. And I, I think um, it... I think it may ultimately lead to something that's considered a little underwhelming, um, at least as far as what fans should, well, not should, what fans probably are expecting um, in return for Debrinket. As far as Ottawa moving forward, even though that kind of is a big situation, a big negative situation, like you said, they have some really solid pieces where if they can just start building out the depth and uh, manufacture a solid second, third line, have um, a second pair, third pair of the defense be a little bit stronger. Um, and then the big thing, goalie. They really need a goalie, and I think if they can find a clear number one somehow, I don't know how they're going to do it. It's probably going to have to be through trade. Um, maybe they can make a push for the playoffs, but um, Cam Talbot's heading out the door. Uh, if he wasn't, I could tell you he really wasn't going to cut it for them. Maybe a Tristan Jari is something that they... Uh, take a gamble on. Maybe Ottawa is the team that uh, pulls him out of Pittsburgh, but that, that's really one of the big main holes, I think, for the Senators team. Yeah. Goalie, I mean, they do have at least one one good prospect, Matt Sogard, um, who could be who could be something, maybe not, you're probably not rolling him as your full-time starter, so I don't mind. The Jari idea was probably, that fit probably makes one, more sense for Jari and the team than most others around the league. I think to bring train to bring it. Okay. It's not, it's never going to be ideal to necessarily trade a dollar for four quarters in the NHL, but I think Ottawa could do okay by and benefit a little bit from adding some quality depth. I don't know what that deal necessarily looks like, but them being able to fill out kind of a nice middle six, and maybe get a really quality bottom six player and a defenseman or another goalie somehow in, in this trade for Debrinket could help them kind of balance their own top-heavy lineup out a little bit more. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, part of that, with Debrinket moving, you can get some assets back for him, and the other part of that is with him not taking up, let's say eight-ish million of your cap, uh, there's some cap dollars you can spend elsewhere to further that. Depth. So we got two more kind of top-heavy teams that are a little, that are very much up against the cap. Start with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning here. Again, they have quality players. A lot of them are signed to fairly good contracts. I question a little bit of what they did last offseason, especially with uh, Sergachev. I think they maybe gave him a little bit too much. But they have the they have the good players. They have a elite goalie. But they really are going to need to continue to build around the edges, build out their depth. Yeah, and I think they're, they're going to start to get to the point where some of these top stars are getting a little bit older and they're spending right up to the cap and it's going to get a little bit harder to keep everyone around. So the, the obvious uh, possible departure here is Alex Kalorn, who really has 
played very well in any role that he's been given on this Tampa Bay Lightning team in the past uh, bunch of years. Alex Kalorn, four years, 5.25 is what we have his contract projection at. I don't really see how Tampa can make that work. Um, they don't really have anyone they can move out. Uh, Brent Seabrook's contract is there on long-term injured reserve. So I guess maybe in theory there's a way that they can bring back Kalorn, but they're, they would be severely limiting any other possible moves in doing so. Yeah, it feels like if... I think our projection sounds about right for Kalorn, and I think there's going to be more than enough market for him. I don't see how Tampa's going to be able to to, to keep him, unfor- unfortunately, for the team. And as you said, yeah, that's that's a tough, tough... That's going to be a hole in their lineup because they brought they traded for Tanner Janot, gave up a lot for him. I think, ideally, he's who kind of fills that Kalorn role, but he did not bring what was expected um, after they brought him over by any means. Yeah, he would really need a bounce back uh, to really provide anything close to the performance and value that Kalorn brought to this team. Part of my concern here is I look at the three or let's say four highest paid forwards on the team. There's Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, and Sorelli. After that, Nick Paul. He can play probably a decent third-line center. But then we're looking at um, Brandon Hagel, who was actually really good this year. I don't want to gloss over that. Um, but the depth starts to be a question, especially when you can't re-sign people like Kalorn. You're really tight on money. Are you able to keep Tanner's, you know, Ross Colton? I, I think we're kind of at the point where the Tampa Bay salary cap issues that they've kind of been solving year to year, it's really putting them in a tough position to build a team that has depth and that's going to make it tough to win a cup. Yeah, even even some of their strengths before, like they, they had a deep blue line. That's not the case anymore. And now it's, it's Vasilevsky and goal, and they really need to find someone else besides Brian Elliott at this point. And that's probably going to cost them a little bit more as well. So they're probably going to be committing... Ten and a half to eleven and a half million dollars minimum in goal, and that's that's tough when you when you have an other like nine point five million dollar players throughout your lineup. That and I think the last thing to point out with Tampa is there's not a whole lot coming through the system prospect wise, and that's even more concerning because when you look at picks, it's very possible they don't have a first round pick in the next three drafts. The next two drafts, they may not have a second-round pick. There's not a whole lot in their farm system, and there may not be a whole lot unless they move out some quality pieces, um, which I don't think they're really ready to do. I think they're still going to try and push for a cup here. So the push for the cup and uh, salary cap trouble, I guess that brings us to the last team in our series here, Toronto Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, William Nylander. Still all with the team? still have only won one first-round playoff series. Me, personally, I think that core's been together long enough. I think they've tweaked around the edges enough. I'd add Morgan Riley maybe into that core as well. They've tweaked around those players enough at this point. I think it's time for someone from the core to go. I tend to agree with you, and I think even just from a cap management perspective it's very tough to tie that much money into four forwards and when you consider Nylander needs an extension and is going to get a raise Matthews needs an extension and is going to get a raise it's you're just going to keep repeating the same situation over and over and like you said at this point it might be time to try something new yeah, this this is where two other Canadian teams who seem to be destined to uh, make some trades might make sense as trade partners. Calgary Flames, 
Winnipeg Jets, both have the type of players on the type of contracts that if Cal- that if uh, the Maple Leafs want to kind of go once more, kind of put their chips in the metal, I think there's there's some some moves to be made there. It might require someone agreeing to an extension, waiving a no move clause, but if you can bring in two guys from Calgary, like a Lindholm and Toffoli, for example, or like a Shifley, maybe not Dubois, but maybe Shifley and Wheeler at a discounted rate or something like that, at the price of one William Nylander, for example, I think that's a net positive for Toronto. And I don't want to sit here and say, I think William Nylander is on the best value contract on the team and maybe one of the better value ones in the league, which is what makes him a valuable trade asset as well. Definitely. And I, I think the the key thing to look at with him is, yes, it's a very valuable contract for this coming season, but because that extension is coming, not that he's going to make something that isn't worth it. He's a very good player and is going to get a deal that he deserves, but that value contract is going to become a little bit less of a positive and more just, okay, this deal makes some sense. Um, I like that trade idea. One of the big things with Toronto though, is kind of been their defense and, What's weird about it is they have a lot of names that are like solid defensemen, but it just hasn't seemed to quite work for them. Yeah, more I like Morgan Riley. He's a good, good defenseman. Maybe he's not the true number one that you need. TJ Brody is one of the best defensive defensemen in the NHL, so the fact that his name's potentially in buyout rumors is is crazy. Jake McCabe, he's he's probably a good second pair, really good third pair defensive defenseman type player. I mean, if you're going to choose, though, keeping him over TJ Brody while also having to eat some cap hit for Brody, I think that's poor a poor decision. I, I will say I, I think that McCabe deal, because there's salary retained with Chicago, having him for $2 million, that's pretty solid. Um but, but, yeah, I mean, looking at Brody and McCabe, those are two guys that I I would want on the team still if I'm Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I, those those guys plus Morgan Riley, you should be should be pretty comfortable with Mark Giordano fine where he is. The, the issue is kind of filling that out and putting players in the position that they should be in. Maybe this is where someone like a Racco Gudis comes in and makes a lot of sense, a really good another stay-at-home defenseman, but really Toronto has enough of those guys. They might need someone that's more of a transition, a really good transition player that's kind of steady in both zones but gets the puck up the ice well. And I don't necessarily know names off the top of my head. Maybe Brett Pesci. Yeah, I think um, Pesci would make a lot of sense to fill that role, and I think it would just be good to point out – a lot of players like that, which are, I, w- I would say that's kind of the style that NHL is moving towards. They're harder to find. So when we kind of look at the free agent list, there isn't a whole lot out there. I guess like a Shane Gossis bear maybe is someone who contract-wise would work for Toronto, but I, I like the idea of a Brett Pesci mainly because I think that's just a great trade fit. I think um, you could dangle someone like a William Nylander to Carolina, and that could be a a very uh, attractive opportunity for them. Yeah, I mean, you've heard us talk plenty on the forwards, plenty on the defense. Goalies, honestly, we we covered quite thoroughly uh, the kind of goalie situation in Toronto, in the fourth episode of our podcast when we talked about the kind of goalie market. So I don't want to spend a ton of time there, but it would not be a shock if Ilya Samsonov was not qualified, which would allow the team to probably, it would probably have them move on. Maybe Joseph Walls steps in, maybe maybe they go dip into the market, but 
Samsonov going to arbitration, that's a minimum of $4 million. Yeah, and I think um, if they could get them on the right deal, I, I would be a little less worried about the AAV. Um, we have him as, I believe, if, if we're going to look at RFAs and UFAs altogether, uh, we've got him at four years, five million. Over a four-year deal, I, I think five million is very fair. Um, it just kind of depends on how Toronto decides they want to allocate uh, their cap to the goaltenders. The other factor that comes into play is just beyond Samsonov, there's Matt Murray and his, uh, let's see here, 4.687 uh, cap hit. They could buy out Murray. They could try to flip him somewhere, and maybe it becomes a lot easier to give Samsonov that, let's say, four to five million. Yeah, I I had said that maybe they can send him to Chicago in the when we talked about the Central Division, but could also if if they could work something out with Winnipeg if Winnipeg moves on from Hellebuck, he could maybe be a level of a bridge goalie for the Jets too. That that could be an interesting situation. But Toronto has has some uh, has some decisions. We could spend an entire episode probably talking about Toronto because they're one of the more fascinating kind of team building um, situations this offseason. I think I think Trev Leving needs to do something kind of like he did with Kachuk in Calgary and take one of his prime assets and turn it into a couple really good players. And I think that's really what Toronto needs to accomplish this offseason so with that that wraps up our look around the nhl finishing out with the atlantic division if you missed any of the other ones you can uh, find them on any podcast platform search for the max term podcast if you have any questions have any thoughts you want to kind of interact with us at max term pod on twitter or at afp analytics on twitter the at AFP analytics account is also where we have our contract projections posted. It's the pin tweet with there. You can also get a hold of either James or myself through there. And uh, with that, we'll uh, talk to you next time.